I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her David D. Benedetto is a dear friend and the creative force behind Garden and Gun. We sat down in his Charleston office, shared a bourbon, and chatted about his craft and our love for the South. This is the first episode in our five-episode capsule in partnership with Garden and Gun. Dave D. Benedetto. It's a tongue twister. Yes. <laughs> but how did yes, I do? Yes, you did well. I'm perfect. You did perfect. <laughs> Thank you. I it went was... to school with a Benedetto, but not a D Benedetto. Got it. Benedetto means blessed one. Of course and, it does. And D would be of, of, the, of blessed the blessed one. ones. Yeah. yeah. I'm I trying to fulfill that. But <laughs> we'll see. You are a Southerner. You're from Savannah, Georgia. A lot of our listeners are not from the South. Can you tell people what Savannah's like? And Savannah has a great historic <clears throat> district, and it's centered around, and I hope I remember my history, 12 or 14 squares that were originally <laughs> laid out by uh, James Oglethorpe in 1733. See, they did do they did do well in <laughs> nativity <history>. school. Um <laughs> But I didn't grow up downtown. I grew up on Wilmington Island, which was, you know, just outside, probably 20 minutes from downtown and in the most idyllic setting imaginable. You know, we were, we lived on the Wilmington River. Yeah. So I was a creek kid, you know, a dock rat, (laughs) river rat. And that was my passion, you know, from the time I could explore the marsh to the time I could get in a john boat to the time I could take the family's bigger boat out. That's what I did. And you're one of three boys. I'm actually the youngest of four. Youngest of four. Yeah. So I had those brothers to teach me. Fortunate enough that I had access to to boats. Yeah. I mean, that's just a tremendous thing to have. And are y'all all all totally into them still? Three of the four of us. Okay. And the the second oldest, Christian, he's a mathematic genius uh-huh. you know the kind of kid that gets missed one question on the math SATs <laughs> right I can't add a lot like me yeah. I, li- I literally <laughs> cannot add anyway he he was always into re- you know remote control airplanes and sailboats and this and that but appreciated it all you know um, but the three three of us still really need it in our lives yeah which is so special for me to be able to live in Charleston now. Yeah, and do the others live in so um, one? Places? Yeah, well, at least close <clears throat> enough um, where they can get to it and get their fix. I mean, it really is. I mean, you know, when I lived in New York City, I had access to Long Island Sound and Montauk. But in say December, February, and March, a sad person. Anyway, I, I need it. Yeah, uh, and it, it really is kind of shaped who I am, you know, back then when I wanted to write and I was one of those weird kids that I just started writing in sixth grade. Yeah. I remember that I was sitting down watching TV with my family and there was a show on and somebody on that show was a writer and I thought, I have a story to tell. (laughs) And I went upstairs and grabbed a piece of paper and just started writing and I, so I always wanted to be a writer. And back then my writing was what I was passionate about, you know, the river and a boy yeah. who was you know I, I tried to write fiction who loved dolphins and i was out on the boat and it was a rip off of flipper but <laughs> uh anyway 
it, it's it's been nice that uh, I had that. You went to UVM yes. to, to school in yes. Vermont. What was that transition like? How did that feel to go from from Savannah? It, to Burlington, Vermont. Yeah. Um, and had you ever seen snow before? <laughs> yeah, okay. So I'd only seen snow um, when my family would go on, We maybe three times in my life when I was growing up, we went to we went out west uh-huh. and we skied, you know, family ski vacation. Yeah. And I thought I was pretty good skier. <laughs> and I got to Vermont and I remember you could get on this bus for like 25 bucks at seven in the morning on a weekend and they'd take you up to the mountain and then they'd take you home when the mountain's closed. And so a few of us went, and I'll be honest, like four beautiful gals and me. <laughs> and I was like, sure, I can ski. Yeah, let's go. You know, I'm feeling good. First run we go, they're like, are you cool with like, a, you know, starting with a black diamond? And I'm like, oh man. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm good with that. And it was a bumpy black diamond. I see. And, and they shot down like the most wonderful, talented skiers that they were. And I crashed like every three. <laughs> bumps and by the time i got down you know their skis were off they were waiting for me and i said just go i'll, I'll meet you at the bus at 5 p.m uh, and you like sat up and cried yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it was it was a good learning lesson for my uh, humility what did you wear like how did you i mean seriously how did you prepare to go to vermont i was born and raised in savannah georgia my parents um both originally from brooklyn new york okay so, so they knew so about the sweaters. north wasn't so foreign to me you know we visited the city we went to see my grandparents that kind of stuff yeah. but still as a visitor and uh, you know all i knew is i was going to be wearing a lot of jeans and flannel shirts sure. which you know just layer <laughs> upon layer and uh I, but uh, there was one morning going to class where it was 18 degrees oh, 18 yeah. below with the wind chill and i'm i'm i have this big you know um puffy coat on and all my flannel and this hat you know a beanie cap which at one point i just pulled down over just over my i was so cold you know just <laughs> over my eyes and then eventually turned around and went back to the dorm <laughs> <laughs> but uh it was beautiful and i went there because while i love the south and everything about it i thought okay i'll be home for the summer let's go explore somewhere yeah. new in vermont it's the most you know beautiful. i love the outdoor world yeah and i mean that's that's it you know, I became a better skier. Yeah. <laughs> Fished in the spring. I mean, it, you know, hiked in the fall. It was, uh, it was, it was kind of great. I think we talked about this before that John Shelton Reed, yes. who's the writer right. from yeah, Chapel Hill, always says, yeah. he says the people that really know the South are, and are able to identify the South, I guess, the South are people that have left. Right. You know, that right. it's hard to see where you are unless you've been away absolutely and yeah. and to appreciate it yeah to truly i mean i knew i loved it but to truly appreciate it i, I mean you know, i I, remember I used to drive um an old bronco to you know and i'd drive up in the spring and then come back and and the uh, or I'd drive up in the fall excuse me and come back in the spring and i remember that drive home in the spring and uh, you know as you get this would be may as you got farther down i-95 just <laughs> watching the trees you know, yeah. get a little greener and green you know yeah. and, and to the point where you're you realized you were home yeah and where the landscape became so important to me understanding that. Tell me about William Gherkin. Oh, wow. So <laughs> um, I might cry. Aww. So, uh, you know, my mentor, really, my Southern mentor, mm. he was my next door neighbor, retired assistant, high school principal, mm. and also taught shop at the high school. Not your high school? Not my high school. Right. No, public school in, in, um, in Savannah. You know, somehow, as a five-year-old, mm. I found something in him. I realized that he was a person I wanted to be around. Yeah. So I would literally go over to his door and, and ring the bell. I'd stand, you know, reach for the bell. 
And his wife would come out, and, and I would say, Mr. Gherkin's mommy. <laughs> Is it okay if Mr. Gherkin comes out to play? He would come out, and we would talk. And over the years, I learned so much from him. He he, he understood the river that we lived on like no one else yeah. I knew or had access to and taught me about what a full moon means to the shrimp coming out of the marsh yeah. and what a half moon means to the trout or that when the dogwoods are blooming that meant in the spring that meant the whiting were coming in mm. i gained a respect and an appreciation for that understanding yeah so i love to fish and what i love about fishing is that when i catch a fish it's not that reeling in a fish is so fun or you know i get to hold it up for a picture but that for that very moment i've connected with a wild creature hmm. and I've understood Why where they were, yeah. you know, like I've understood, I thought, okay, they're going to be on this point with, because the wind's blowing this way and the tide's going that way. And if there are, if they are, that confirms that I understand this natural world a little bit, yeah, not a lot, but, and that's what I get such a kick out of. It's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah that's, that's to me means more than anything. You had another mentor in your life, John Mather. So went to Vermont Came out of school, got a job at Men's Journal in New York City. And what uh, was that like? I mean, I mean tremendous. That was I mean, my, it was my dream, right? I, but sartorially, I, I don't I mean to go from Savannah oh, to Vermont yeah, and then to New York. Like, how a, did you handle this? It was a nightmare. <laughs> uh, I thought everybody was still wearing their khakis and their button-down shirt. And, and, you know, this was the same office as Rolling Stone and, oh and, my God. and Us Weekly. So, yeah. you know, I had no idea. I walk in and I'm like, wow, I don't look like the rest of everyone here in my fashion choices. So John Mather had been the um, fashion director for Esquire for years. Yeah. Uh, and he had come to Men's Journal and he was doing nice work there. And he just took me under his wing, you know, at one point <laughs> said, why don't we go shopping? <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. And where'd you go? Uh, so we so we were on 52nd and uh, 6th Avenue. Mm-hmm. And Brooks Brothers. Is that simple? It. Brooks Brothers the original. was a block, right, a block away. Yeah. And we walked down there and, you know, we walked in and, they all they knew him. I yeah. had no idea, but even the folks on the floor knew him. And he just kind of did this, 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 this. You know, meanwhile, I'm trailing behind going, I am never going to wear that. Like, are you crazy? So let's say I, we, he, I tried on, you know, if I tried on six things, we chose five. Three of them I felt out of my comfort zone, but I wore them. And, I, and you know, for the first time in New York City, certainly, people said, hey, you, you know, you look nice. Like, yeah. I like your shirt. And I thought, okay, maybe, oh, maybe I'm something on to something this. here. <laughs> yeah. Let's, can we go shopping again? So we would go um, at least twice a year, sometimes three, and just do the, just thing. to load up on, you know, yeah. But um, I also do think, especially that original Brooks Feathers is a real Southern uh, pilgrimage. Yeah, right. Right? Right. Of course. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, he knew me, right? I'm not one to go totally out of my comfort zone, <laughs> but he certainly was dragging me out of my Savannah, Georgia, UVM, you know, look. And it it was nice because when I started to dress that way, I started to feel like, okay, you know, this is how I should dress. I want to, you know, I want to succeed in this in New York City and I want to move up and I want people, if I'm called into their office, uh, you know, I don't want to look like I just came out of, you know, English 401 or whatever. <laughs> And and I, I it was great. And you were writing at Men's Journal, and then yeah. So I believe it or not, I wrote the fashion copy. That's how I got to know John very well. And 
you know, Men's Journal was trying to do this thing where they made fashion real and they wanted to, you know, we tried to choose models who were into sports and things that might reflect some of the clothes we were choosing. So it was my job to call up these models and interview them and find out some nugget or story <laughs> that, you know, it's still short, like 200 words. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was my I gig. I love that. So yeah, I wrote all the, at the same time folding in the clothes, you know, the John Barbados jacket and the rlx and do you learn a ton about clothes i mean of course yeah Yeah. and and, then that's where i really you know learned it from john because i was so close to that process yeah and the fashion photographers and and just also you know i remember the high back then it was the high high and the low yeah you know the high and the low and you'd have your (laughs) rlx jacket on top and your fancy pants on you know and yeah i learned i learned a lot and then from there went to field and stream I left Men's Journal to write a book, a nonfiction book. I followed the migration of the striped bass from Maine to North Carolina in wow. the fall of 2001. So it's it's a book that uses fishing as a vehicle, but it's really about the natural history and the yeah. people and the and the road trip. And yeah. um, I mean, it was the greatest boondoggle I ever created. <laughs> Uh, so for you know four months I was on the road and uh, and fished it, and fished with people along the way or? yeah so yeah. met guides met fish met people you know again out of my comfort zone going up to introduce myself meeting people you know calling ahead and wow but also it was it was it happened during nine eleven wow and, and that really became a powerful part of that book but to just see how it played out across not only right then and there I was in Maine when it happened but just the rest of the book. I mean, I'm fishing in New York Harbor a month later, you could still smell the World Trade Center, the burning smell that I always say, you know, I don't know if you were there or not, but it's like an electric, burnt electric Mm. smell. And it it was just still there. Yeah. A month later, because it was still smoldering. That's extraordinary. Anyway, sorry, long answer, but yes, and then to Field and Stream. (laughs) And Field and Stream writing? Yeah, writing and mostly editing, and that's where I met, well, I'd I'd met my good friend Sid Evans, who's now the editor of Southern Living at Writers. We we kind of passed each other at Men's Journal, and I worked with him. Is Sid from Alabama? He's from Memphis. Memphis, okay. And and so that was my Southern connection. Yeah. There was, yeah, it was, we, we, I, I met that Southern friend who had not only the same passions, but also the same you know interest in you know your work yeah and this is how you navigate yeah. like the things you love and being southern in right. new york right and yeah, it was really refreshing to see you know it's like wow you're, you're just like me <laughs> <laughs> and then he moved to garden a gun and then he recruited you yeah so made well, some other we, things in between right we were working together and he came in and said have you heard about this magazine garden a gun and like everyone else i laughed at the name <laughs> And I said, you know, sorta. And he he had a copy, and he said, you know, they've reached out to me. I'm curious what you think. You know, so I spent some time with it, and then I went back to him and said, I think this has so much potential. Yeah. It's it's just, you know, and it's in Charleston. So he for debated this for a number of weeks, and then came in one day and said, you know, I'm I'm going to do it. And I said, well, if you need a number two, I mean, half joking, but not. <laughs> yeah. So if you need a number two, I'll come. Yeah. And he's like, really? And I said, yeah. He goes. Let's do it. Wow. And, and, it, and so, you know, there were little formalities after that, but that's how it happened. And I mean, who and, knew? I, I, you know, like the idea that you would be in the South producing a magazine yeah. that you were proud of, that you loved, that represented what you loved about the South. I, if you had told me two weeks before all that happened, I would have said you were crazy. Yeah. You couldn't you know? have. No, I written... couldn't have ever imagined it. But I no. was so well prepared because of that stint I had done in the city with the, you know, 
the best of the best yeah. in magazine making, you know? Yeah, and knowing what, what the best meant, I guess, or, you know, how you wanted uh, to run it, how you... Or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, you it, I, I was so fortunate. I didn't go to journalism school. I was an English major, but I, you know, I always knew I wanted to be in magazines. I had the, 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 the best journalism school in those seven years at Montreal. Yeah. And that, that just teed it up to come down here, you know, a few years later. So uh, I was fortunate. Soon after you came, the recession hit. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had this meeting. We were in the old office, which is much smaller than the current office. And, and Rebecca, our CEO, calls us together. And, you know, there, I, there were maybe 12 of us at the time. I think now there are 50 of us in the whole office. And she started crying. And we were like, oh, God, this is not, <laughs> not going to be good. I can't remember if I knew it in the moment if it while it was happening. Like, did you know that it was happening? There, you know, you get these these pulses in the media business because the, the advertisers are pulling back when right. they think it might be coming and they're pretty good at knowing what's yeah. coming. Right. So there was some fear, but it wasn't, you know, we were just, we were a year into it and you know, the message was the post and courier, the, the, yeah. the, you know, the newspaper in town who owned the magazine, who founded it was, you know, cutting us loose. In other words, shutting us down right. but to rebecca's credit you know and i don't know that we all believed her at that point she's like we're gonna keep this going i you know i want you i want to keep this going it's too good our readers love it mm-hmm. we will find a way we all pitched in you know we all had salary cuts and you know the printer didn't work I mean, we were printing a magazine <laughs> and we didn't have a printer you know we'd go to kinko's and print out the layouts and then someone would bring them back and, yeah you know we all believed in it yeah you know if it was new york city we would have scattered right but we were here we were this tight-knit group and we had something that we believed in and a lot of other people mainly readers believed in and you know we're like let's just keep going you know let's just keep trying and um and what do you think made it pull through well they thankfully rebecca found an investor right well, yeah, yes <laughs> yeah that that really did right yeah so that allowed us to keep the lights on long enough to survive that recession yeah and as soon as advertisers, you know, felt good about spending money again, it, off we went. Uh, and it made us better. It made us stronger. It made us better. It made us understand how how well you can do with so little. And and it probably made you understand what made you special. Why? Well, why yeah. You were I mean, doing you know, it. there was somebody. Somebody wrote a, 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 a you know. A reader wrote a letter that, to Rebecca and said, if you shot this magazine down, I'm going to come hunt you down. You know? <laughs> but it was this sense of like, you know, Pete, this is special. Like, you know, it's yeah. too, I don't know. I've worked at a lot of really cool magazines. I've been very fortunate. And the the uh, enthusiasm of the reader. It's so is, different It's so different. Yeah. It is so different. You know, I used to, you know, I worked at Men's Journal, which is a great national magazine and Field and Stream, the biggest outdoor magazine ever. This was the first magazine where my parents were like, wow, we're hearing so much about your magazine. You know, like they were proud all of a sudden. I'm like, well, you know, I didn't do nothing for the last. uh, uh, Anyway, um, the readers are, I mean, they really make this a special place to work. Well, I think, and the readers also, they treat them like books. I mean, they they save them. Right. You know, and I think that's part of this magazine's secret to its success Mm. is that it's only six times a year. And we think of it as a publishing event, mm-hmm. you know, not something that we expect you to throw away when you're, as soon as you're done with it or before you even read it, right? And so everything is poured into that cover and every page, you know, you just want to make every page special. I, I, I tell these guys till they're blue in the face and they don't need to hear it. 
just imagine that this is a there's a new reader opening it up to the whatever random page it may be. Like that's our chance, yeah. right? Like that's our chance to show them and hook them and keep them. So make sure the caption is perfect and the headline is perfect and the lead of the story. You and, love and every part of this. You love you love the writing, but you also love the layouts and the yeah. Yeah, and, and that's something I've learned. I've come to really appreciate more. Yeah, to truly understand from a visual perspective. Mm. The, uh, I love covers. And I don't mean, you, do love, you think I'm, that com- the the visual part comes from your men's journal? For part? Su- for yeah. sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But all you know, also you know, when you're making those decisions and when you're presented with three different layouts, and mm. it's like on you, okay, you know what? What do you like here? And then, but then also listening to the people who did it. Mm-hmm. You know, like our creative director, Marshall McKinney, you know, hearing his rationale for the three different layouts and what each of them does differently. It's, it's really special. Yeah. And, and, and also a tremendous learning experience and then taking that with you. But I, you know, I love covers. I, I just think <laughs> that a cover should set the tone for your magazine in every issue. I want it to sit on your coffee table. I think of the perfect garden and gun cover where it's like art and commerce yeah Uh, and that's when it really it really sings and and distribution is it's all over the country and the world yeah right and is it just southern diaspora or is it you know that's a good question yeah Uh, i mean we we don't know totally i mean we know a lot of it is is uh, well let's just say this um 42 percent of our circulation is outside of the you know beyond the mason dixon line right California is, I think, the tenth largest, and New York is the ninth. Wow! And that is a lot of expats mm-hmm. who are missing the South, and also folks who just like this lifestyle. Yeah, you know, and who appreciate outdoors. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Or, uh, you or know, what? Food, outdoors, shelter, interesting people, and good storytelling. So many folks say, you know, I never, you know, I never thought I would. <laughs> This magazine would mean anything to me. I don't care about fly fishing, <laughs> uh, but I read the story about a fly fisherman and I couldn't stop. Yeah. Well, you've done a beautiful job. Thanks. Tell me what you think a stylish Southern man is. Someone who looks like he's not trying hard. Yes. You know, like <laughs> I can't stand the dandy. And maybe that's me <laughs> because I don't feel comfortable peacocking around or something you know I, I i like the jacket the the wax cotton jacket that looks like you actually wore it right outside at yes. some point and maybe it does have a little mud from the duck blind on it or not are there any southerners that you find stylish that is a good question i honestly i mean who what's your well, answer tom wolf just because he dressed for the occasions and right. i think that that's one thing that you that Southerners do so well, and I think that we have we have nice manners, and that right. we show up, and it's yes. respectful to the host. That's absolutely right. You know, I appreciate someone who does that, um, and our style director Haskell Harris is amazing at this. It seems effortless. Yeah. You know, it just seems like oh, I just threw this on and yeah. out I went, and you know, <laughs> uh, and it's stunning and beautiful, and it stops you in your tracks. But the, there's not this, you know, sense. It, it just it comes with an ease. You've done a lot in your career. You've won many awards. You've been very successful. But what does success mean for you? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I think I would have given you a different answer 10 years ago. Uh You know, I I would have. I know. Before children? Before children, before maybe having some of that success, you know, um, and understanding what really fulfills you. Mm. Now, success for me 
is connected with doing well and doing good. And, and I think about this magazine and I hope that we are portraying an inclusive South, mm. you know, a progressive South and showing folks. Um, I mean, look, I know there are some awful parts of the South, but it's really nice to work at a place where we can shine a light on the great parts of this place and the work being done to understand our past and yeah. to make things better. For me, that's coupled. Of course, everybody loves the awards, and, and I do too, because I'm as competitive <laughs> as they get. I really am. But it's it's meant something to have those awards, but also know at, at night that you're doing something good. Yeah. You know, that, that it makes a difference. I mean, really, how many people get to say that? Not many. You know, like that is so special. And, and you know, of course, I said I, I worry a lot. And sometimes I worry like, oh my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> I can't stop. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that's sort of my idea of success. And and again, kids, you know, coming home at night and, you know, Jenny and I, uh, wow, I'm getting deep, worked really hard to have children. Yeah. Really, really hard. Years. Infertility doctors, everything. And we were successful eventually. And it was terrific. And I think I, we both appreciate those children so much more for knowing how close we were to not having them. Yeah. So coming home at night and, and hearing, you know, laughing and smiling and, and or crying and screaming, you know, like that is part of it. It, it just feels good and yeah. successful. Yeah. You know, we're just happy and content. You know, I think I would have said 10 years ago, it would have been much more about work. Yeah. And now life is kind of folded in in a way that I appreciate all of it, not just a great fishing day. Mm-hmm. You know, I appreciate a wonderful breakfast at the table where Sam's telling a joke and Rosie's throwing eggs across the, you know, the room <laughs> and the dogs, you know, jumping up and licking the milk. But you know, that's really, you know, that's what we remember. Yeah. You know, I'm, that's what I'm going to think about 40 years from now, 50 years from now. It's not, a, you know, awards dinner. Award. Right. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to hear your answer. What did you wear to the prom? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, a cheap, a cheap rented tux. From where? Uh, Fines? Did Fines have a men's? No, they no. didn't. This was like a local shop in Savannah where, you know, I went with my mom and, you know, got... Was there a nice men's store in Savannah? Jay Rook. Jay Rook. Uh, is was, it still there? Yeah, still is. It's uh-huh. a family uh, store. My mother and father... My mother raised four boys. My dad was a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Style was not something they were concerned about. Right. I learned that when I was I was probably eight. No, I was probably like nine or ten, and my next-door neighbor was having a birthday party. He was a couple of years younger than me, and I put on my favorite Madras shorts <laughs> and my striped polo, and I went over there. My mom and, saw and me. And they probably weren't yours. They probably were, they were hand-me-downs, sure right? they were, right? And yeah. my mom saw me, and she didn't stop me. <laughs> And I got over there like half an hour before the party started and, and my friend's mom was like, whoa, Dave, <laughs> nice outfit, you know, and I, I had no idea. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I was like, what's wrong with this, you know? Uh, and then she sort of explained it to me and I ran home and changed. Um, You've been in the creek all day. You were just kind of yeah, like, okay, you know, come I, as you so, are. But the point being is mom didn't care. Yeah. You know, she cared yeah. that I was there for dinner. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, sorry. Uh, no, my prom. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. my, the most memorable prom is I was a, um, I loved playing football and I had broken my hand in spring practice. So, I had this giant cast. I've broken the, yeah, my f- middle finger and hand. And I had this 
awful clunky cast on and we had we went there to get suited you know fitted for my tux uh which had to allow for the cast i love it yeah okay yeah. so in all my prom pictures i'm like you know, a big cast hand over my date thank you dave sure what we wore is produced by capital and balto creative media the original song someone so enchanting was composed and performed by brit drazda What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.